everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today, things are going to get a little bit spicy because we'll be talking about The Crown Season 3, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of Season 3, entitled Imbroglio. And yes, uh, while Charles and Camilla are the focus of the episode, there are some other things to dive into here as well. As always, helping me to do just that are my two amazing co-hosts. First, a man renowned for his smooth hands and long, delicate fingers. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, how do you keep those hands so smooth? (sighs) (laughs) Um, I mean, bath and body works, baby. (laughs) There you go. That's the secret. Also back with us today. A woman who loves blasting David Bowie in the car. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, what is your go-to David Bowie song? Quick. Oh, uh, Life on Mars. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Mark, yeah. Ivan, I what are you? Time. Do you have a go-to Bowie song? Queen Bitch. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I mean, which, which, which I swear I just blurted out without even, like, realizing the, the context of the, the show that we're hosting. Well, speaking of, Ivan, before we dive into the episode, I we have to talk a little bit about your trip to Scotland, yes. which you took recently. How was your trip, and what was the highlight and low light? The trip was good. Um, yeah, it was my first time in the UK, and it was obviously a very specific part of the UK that... Um, you know, the locals were very often to, you know, remind us that they may not be part of the UK forever if they have it their way uh, in, in, in years ahead. Um, but nevertheless, uh, in this land of, you know, rich history and tradition and, you know, very, um, very, you know, proud people, um, very warm and friendly people. Um, nevertheless, there was still uh, a museum um, uh, of the Royal Yacht Britannia, which was the uh, royal family's <laughs> Uh, ship between the early 50s until it was uh, decommissioned in 1997. It now sits in Edinburgh uh, and is available uh, for tourists to do an audio tour through. Uh, There was even a place uh, to uh, sit and dine and have afternoon tea and scones. Um, And yeah, the entire uh, boat was just, you know, decked out with photos of the royal family and the various, uh, uh, you know, world leaders and celebrities that they hosted and entertained on the the yacht over the decades. and it was a really cool experience. Um, the That was definitely the best part. Uh, you asked me what the worst part of the trip was. Uh, the worst part of the trip was the fact that to access the Royal Yacht Britannia, you have to go through, like, I kid you not, a shopping mall. Like, the entrance <laughs> is inside a mall. You have to walk past a Build-A-Bear <laughs> to get to the Royal Family's yacht. But can you do a Build-A-Bear But then once you're the there, queen? it's great. That's the important oh, thing. Oh, I mean, they, they should offer that if they don't already. Yeah. You got to bring your uh, queen Build-A-Bear onto, your, onto the Royal Britannia. Did you did yeah. you come back with any souvenirs? Uh, jam. Jam. Nice. Uh, have you yeah. had it yet? Is it good? Uh, well, not, I haven't had the, the jam that I brought back with me, but I had jam while I was there, including on the Royal Yacht Britannia, <laughs> where I had some on a scone. <laughs> Oh, very that sounds nice. so fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that your trip went well. Uh, very jealous. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like you learned anything additional about the royal family that we haven't seen in The Crown? Yes, but it, it ties to some events that we haven't gotten to yet, um, particularly uh, pertaining to Charles and Diana Ooh. and uh, their mm-hmm. their honeymoon suite on the yacht, which 
I'll be happy to, you know, provide some more intel on <laughs> when we <laughs> venture into next season. All right. Well, but but let me let, let me let me put it this way. Up until their honeymoon, the Royal Yacht Britannia had never had a bedroom with a double bed on it. Everybody slept separately. But by Charles's request, <laughs> they got a double bed ready in time for the honeymoon. I just the the amount like just making Elizabeth do like sailor type bed like bed situation that's interesting oh no she no she 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 had her own bedroom which i saw it was really yeah. nice um and it was kind of the same bedroom yeah but like yeah she had like a single bed and then her bedroom i believe was connected to philip's bedroom who also had a single bed but the two were like decorated very differently all with kind of within their own styles and personalities but yeah then across the hallway from those two connected <laughs> bedrooms you had this other bedroom that was the honeymoon suite which it's interesting because it was you know kind of commissioned to be you know set up that way for uh, charles and diana but i guess like subsequent to that it's just always been used as the guest bedroom for anybody that was like staying with them and and you know sailing with them but like on the nightstand there's still a photo of charles and diana so you have to wonder, like, if any other, like, you know, couples are staying there in that bed and they look over and suddenly there's a photo of Charles and Diana on the nightstand. Like, I wonder, has this photo always been there? Did they ever remove it? Wait, do they still use this boat for, like, functions? Or is it just a... No, no, no. But, like, oh. there, there was a period of time probably, you know, in between Charles and Diana having been married and, yeah, I guess the mid-90s where... This was kind of the the guest bedroom for couples that were, you know, staying on the yacht with them. But yeah, it had a photo of the couple on the of, of Charles and Diana on the nightstand, and I'm I'm curious if it's ever been removed, especially while somebody else was staying in there. I see. I would assume that the like tourist people put that in, so tourists knew that that was the Charles and Diana room. But I hope it was there the whole time. <laughs> oh, I mean, the the audio tour made this very clean, very clear. It was the Charles and Diana room. No, oh, but they they really assume Americans don't know anything. I feel like they gotta they gotta do a two punch. <laughs> it was a good audio tour, I will say. That's cool. The whole experience was delightful. Like this was my first like uh, experience, like kind of interacting with an artifact of the royal family, and you know, especially you know, as it kind of relates to what we do here, it, it was it was probably like the most riveted I've ever been in a you know museum like setting like I, i'm notoriously like oh. very uh kind of like kind of whiny when it comes to museums like i do tend to get pretty bored and restless in them uh <laughs> like a child <laughs> I, I mean honestly like no kidding like uh you know last year my wife and i we went to the louvre and you know we were there probably like three hours total which you know you, you can spend a lot longer at the louvre um but i you know, was intact for like the first hour of the tour. And then I checked out and just went to the Starbucks in the museum while she did the rest. Like oh I saw, God. I saw the Mona Lisa. I saw uh, the Venus de Milo. And then I'm like, all right, they got Wi-Fi over there. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So high praise for the HMS Britannia. HMS? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. The highest praise. Like I, I had a yeah. great time. Awesome. Um, well, speaking of Charles, we will be diving into a pretty Charles-centric episode, but before we do so, you know, right off the top, uh, we just want to disclaim that if you came here for any factual clarity about the events that transpired in the episode, we have no idea, we only know about the HMS Britannia. 
So, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're curious, if uh, Prime Minister Heath is actually afraid of corgis, we're going to assume that he is because that's what we saw in the episode and why else would they lie? Uh, so to, I guess, get things kicked off here with regard to the episode, Ivan, could you give us a quick recap of season three, episode nine, Imbroglio? Yeah, would love to. So uh, speaking of Prime Minister Heath, um, you know, he is in a bit of a pickle as there's a stalemate between him and the miners union uh, of the country, which is on strike currently um, and is leading to um, a, a state of shortages for electricity. Um, so the government is responding by using some of the strategic reserves that they have in place while they wait out the strike in the hopes that the miners will uh, blink and, and it will all be over. Uh, but the miners are maintaining a lot of resolve in the situation. So the country has begun to ration electricity. Uh, there's uh, scheduled blackouts uh, that are kind of sporadic and, and kind of cutting into day-to-day -day life and, and society and commerce. Um, and none of this is uh, like definitively resolved by the end of the episode. So I, I'm not sure if we're going to be getting more on that next week. Uh, but while all of this is happening, um, you know, there is, of course, drama boiling within the royal family as well. Uh, so the episode kind of begins with um, David's, uh, you know, recently deceased body being transported back to the United Kingdom for an official burial. Um, and I have to eat my words because I thought we'd never see Wallace Simpson again uh, last week. But here <laughs> yeah. we are like uh, she she's back, uh, the, the new and improved. Um, uh, and she, uh, you know, she's there. She's present for uh, the funeral, obviously. And then uh, she and Charles start to commiserate a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think. Charles is now at this uh, point in time where he starts to see a lot of himself in David, especially as it relates to his romantic life, because uh, there is a uh, woman, uh, Camilla Shan, that uh, Charles is now extremely smitten with um, and seems to want to spend the rest of the, uh, his life with. But he gets the sense that, uh, you know, his family isn't going to approve of her and also just approve of him in general and, and his very kind of radical, independent, free thinking ways, um, at least compared to the rest of the family members. Um, so actually, we like in the beginning, we get this like very epic scene where, you know, he's kind of looking back at the family and they're looking at him and he sort of feels like a, a sense of otherness and like I remember thinking like, whoa, this is like a very kind of energetic scene for the beginning of the episode. It's like the type of stuff that they would close an episode with, but like we're hit with it like right there up front. Um, Anyway, uh, that's all like pre-credits. So, you know, afterward, um, Charles is talking to Dickie and he's, you know, telling Dickie like, look, man, love this girl, Camilla. Um, I know you thought that this would just be a fling, but like, I'm really, really into her. And, uh, you know, I have an intention to kind of make her my wife. Uh, and this uh, kind of sounds the alarm for Dickie, who I suppose through his perspective probably has seen Camilla Shand as somebody that Charles was just going to have a fling with and then, you know, move on to a more serious relationship that would be uh, more in line with the expectations that they have for whom he should marry, the type of woman that would be worthy of, of joining him as queen. So uh, Dickie and the queen mother uh, decide to take it upon themselves to start uh, interfering with all of these various uh, romantic happenings and uh, what they 
choose to do is to uh, orchestrate it so that the parents of uh, Camilla and then Andrew Parker Bowles, who we met last week, uh, to make it so that uh, the parents uh, take their children. And I, I don't know if they like force them to marry or just kind of like nudge them in that direction. But end result uh, is that uh, Camilla Shand uh, marries uh, Andrew Parker Bowles, um, which leaves uh, uh, Charles in a very distraught state. Queen Elizabeth eventually uh, wisens up to the fact that uh, the Queen Mother and Dickie did this and she, uh, you know, kind of comes down sternly on them, but doesn't really do anything to, you know, stop it or, or reverse the course of action, um, which kind of just leaves everybody in a very miserable state when all is said and done. Yeah, I'm sure there, there's more to be said and I'm sure we will, but that's kind of the, the high level summary of episode nine. Thanks, Ivan. So, yeah, we start off with David's funeral. I think this is the first time that I have heard David's full name, which and it's I a can, long name. I can play for you now. Prince Edward, Albert, Christian, George, Andrew, Patrick, David, Duke of Windsor. That sounds like eight That's people to me. <laughs> That's a lot. Like, why? Why do you need that many names and you still don't have a last name? And when you start throwing in, like, you know, things like Albert, it's like suddenly, like, what, is he getting confused with his brother sometimes? Like, what's going on there? How do they choose which of the eight names gets to be his name? Like, How do they choose the order? Do you think there was some confusion? There's somebody else with six of those seven same names, so they had to... Look, honestly, the way you hear any of these royals (laughs) named, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they've now, like, at least now it's not, like, eight but also, and like, is Christian, I always find it weird, is Christian a name? I know it's like a name, but I always find it funny in like these contexts where like, you know, they're super religious. Like, were they just like, I'm also naming you after our, um, our church. Wait, have you never met, uh, like a guy named Christian before? No, I have, but I always see it in like, you know, where it's like, you know, it's kind of a secular thing, but with these guys, they're so religious that is it a religious thing when they name Ooh. someone Christian as opposed to just liking the name Christian? <sighs> Because it doesn't feel like it fits the theme of really basic names. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I I can't see like a staunchly atheist family naming their son <laughs> Christian. I want to find a, a Jew named Christopher. I know it's going to happen one day. I'm going to do it. Going to find someone who does it. Yeah. Um, good luck. Yeah, good luck. Um, good. But this funeral sets the stage, I think, for Charles's story because... We are really being hit over the head these past couple episodes that, you know what, forget what David's done in the past. His and Wallace's story is a story of true love and never let true love uh, be interfered. Like never let your family get in the way of of true love. That's kind of like Wallace's uh, final note to Charles. Uh, The letters come back up here that uh, Elizabeth now has. Wallace is like, thank you so much for sending David these letters. He really appreciated them. I think, is Camilla also at the funeral? Camilla's there, and Wallace gives her a really weird look. So there's a lot going on here in the <laughs> yeah, funeral scene. Yeah, I think she came to pick him up, like, from the funeral, and then she had one of those really weird, like, eye contact moments with <laughs> Wallace that honestly seemed more like it came from a horror movie than from The Crown. That or, or I would watch that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, Spencer, our uh, royal horror movie. Wait, yes. so, okay, so so question, like, because I, again, I was very caught off guard by just how 
kind of powerful and sweeping this whole funeral sequence was, especially for a a pre-credit scene. And like I, I immediately got it in my mind that like why wasn't this scene the final sequence of the last episode? Oh, I don't know. That's a that, good question. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, on a larger scale, I'm a little bit surprised that they let David back in, like that they would do this. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Right? After, like, yeah, oh, that, that was shocking. After everything, they're like, okay, yeah, David, you know what? You're dead. You can come back in now. <laughs> you won't this bury makes you perfect here. sense to me. I don't yeah. know. People love forgetting oh, about um, Nazi ties when you're dead. You'll be allowed back in the country over your dead body. <laughs> But yeah, like on that note, it it started to make me like not like Charles when you're like, bro, this is a Nazi. <laughs> like, why? Wait, like, you should be though. looking up to hold him. Hold on, does Charles even know? I, I think Charles know. does not know. Yeah, they wouldn't I don't tell think Charles he knows. anything. Because <laughs> yeah. like uh, they, they, I mean, weren't they very particular about trying to keep that thing as like low key as possible? Like, there's no reason to tell Charles about it, right? Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, has Charles gone to Tommy Lassell's house and gotten <laughs> the story out of Tommy Lassell's? <laughs> Wait, has Charles canonically said that he hates Tommy Lassell's? I feel like someone, was it Philip? Someone has been like, I hate Tommy oh, it was, Lassell's. It was probably it was Philip. Philip. Yeah. I like to think that was passed on to Charles. That's the one thing father taught son. I was going to say, mm. I think the last time we saw Tommy Lassell's, Charles was like 10 years old. I mean, he could have hated Tommy Lassell's. The last time we saw him... Like, yeah, chronologically, because yeah. we did get the flashback of him True. like toward the beginning of the season. But yeah, I'm trying to think because Tommy was still Tommy like retired after season one, right? He was just kind of mm-hmm. like showing up as like the the guy who's like in college but is now like checking in on his high school friends and dropping <laughs> by like between periods and being like, Hey, what's going on, guys? But you thought you'd never see me again. But he yeah, so like but I'm trying to think, yeah, like yeah. Charles would have been like basically like a preteen the last time. Uh, Wallace gives Charles a gift. It's a pocket watch and compass uh, mm-hmm. that mm. I think she had given to David in 1939. And it has the inscription about, is it an inscription about kind of like true love kind of yeah. that genre? Wallace just is an agent of chaos. Like, <laughs> I mean, she causes a lot of damage down the road, but like she's so... <laughs> Do you think uh, the compass points to Berlin? Oof. No. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Wallace is, I mean, she's in this for what, like four, four or five minutes, but it's a wild four or five minutes because in this span of time, Charles is like, aunt, I found the one. It is Camilla. She is the one for me. Immediately, Wallace gives her like a death glare. <laughs> okay, so that's the thing. Does Wallace not like Camilla? Because you'd think Wallace would be on Camilla's side because, again, she wants to harbor chaos. The way that I interpreted that scene was like Wallace was kind of giving Camilla a look of pity of like, oh, you have a rough road ahead of you. Like oh. your life is about to change for the worse. Oh, well. So the next time that we see Charles, it's basically a montage of him like exercising then he's on a boat then he and camilla are making out and he's like voiceovering this i think it's like (laughs) as he's kind of like talking to camilla on the phone it was crazy editing choice (laughs) yeah i don't know like do i ship this couple Hmm. it's it's so weird to ship them because like whenever you see camilla on the phone 
Andrew Parker bowls is always yeah, in the like background. Ship them. Like they were making some really distinct choices here to be like, uh, Camilla, I don't think she's on board the way uh, Charles is. Sorry. I know it's so awkward. And then on top of everything else, like we got to talk about the the scene with Anne because oh she obviously got yes. caught up in the middle of all this too. And as part of uh, you know the family's like uh, you know machinations of trying to like split up Camilla and Charles and put Andrew and Camilla together. Uh, part of that involved like getting a debrief from Anne and understanding like, wait, you know, what, what was your role in all of this? And, and how do we get you to stop? And will you stop? And which led to this very hilarious scene where the family kind of was staging an intervention with <laughs> Anne and trying to interrogate her and, and learn about, uh, you know, wh where she stands in all of this currently. And her answers were just like, I mean, probably like the funniest like dialogue we, we've seen in The Crown so far, right? Oh, yeah. It, she like has bumped up to like my favorite character of the season, like that scene alone. Well, I think what was funny was they were like, Anne, how could you get involved in this? And Anne is like, uh, I just wanted to have a bit of fun. And in that moment, you see Philip like smirking, like, yes, <laughs> like that's my daughter. <laughs> yeah. And, and I loved that. Like, uh, yeah, that, that was like such a such a pure moment. Like Queen Mother is like appalled. She's like, how dare you? <laughs> and Philip is like, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, Anne is the son that Philip want that Philip wanted. Like, I don't even think he would be that like happy if Charles said the same thing. <laughs> I mean, you have to wonder, like, maybe Philip is just extremely sex positive. Maybe. I guess I can't, so. I can't see Charles ever saying the things that Anne said in this no. meeting. They're so different. That's why Philip doesn't respect him, because he can't even, like, say an innuendo <laughs> in front of his whole family. Yeah. No, that was hilarious. Um, let's see. And that was the that was the Bowie scene. So Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the, yes. The talent it takes to sing in that royal accent. Wow. Yeah. yeah, just like the her her humming just kind of reverberated like after the episode. Like I found myself like humming Starman the rest of the evening. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but it's just like so there's just like a cognitive dissonance between like <laughs> thinking about like the royal family and like interacting with pop culture. It's like that scene where like Diana went to Burger King or whatever at the end of Spencer. It's just yeah. like I can't I can't wrap my head around it for some reason. So I, I will say I think that scene probably for at least for us as kind of like millennial viewers probably like crossed a very pivotal threshold into like we're going to start hearing some music that like isn't necessarily modern but certainly feels like a little bit more contemporary than anything we've heard on the show up until now mm -hmm. yes but th there's a distinct lack of sex pistols i'll i'll keep harping on this <laughs> very influential at this time uh it should be playing while the mining while everything was just going down with that i'm just saying but yeah, you're right. The boy was fun. It's like, yeah, let's let's like get where, some. Where are we right now? Like 72, 73, something like that? Early 70s, yeah. yeah. Early 70s, okay. We, oh, we, maybe we the late 70s. Hearing... Maybe I'm just uh, off. Oh, you think it's late? No, I think that the Sex Pistols might have not risen until the oh. late 70s. So maybe okay. that's why we're not hearing it. Okay, I hope. hopefully we hear some kinks soon. I feel like that would be very era appropriate. Let's go. All right, but back to Charles. So... Charles is going to tell uh, Uncle Dickie. So Dickie has been fired, and Liz was like, well, don't worry. You can spend more time with your family now. And so it turns out Dickie has been meddling in Charles' sex life, but too much because now Charles is in love with this girl. And Charles is like, 
Camilla's the one, and Dickie is like, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> you know what I like? There was no sequence of Charles dating at all. So, like, Dickie failed in, like, the most, like, <laughs> extravagant way where he didn't even date other girls. So, did Dickie in any way, shape, or form introduce Charles and Camilla to each other? Or did he just encourage this little affair to kind of go on for a, you know, presumably temporary duration? Yeah, I think the latter. Yeah, I think so too. It was the encouragement to sow his oats, I think is Dickie's, uh, the way that Dickie puts it. Yeah, that's that's interesting because you, you'd think he'd cover his bases and like throw a couple of additional women into the mix. And who is Dickie's partner in crime? But Queen Mother, what a crazy pair <laughs> to really kind of set the record straight here. Oh yeah, the olds teaming up. Let's go. So I, I took some issue with this because I, I don't think anything that we've seen out of the Queen Mother this season was very in line with her characterization here. Oh, really? I think she's been doing this since the beginning. She did this to Margaret. <laughs> but has she has she done anything of the sort this season, like during during this kind of era of her life? We've gotten nothing from Queen Mother this season. We got her asleep and they were like putting party hats on her. Like, you know, yeah. she just hasn't had a relationship to uh, interfere with. But that's what I'm saying. Like, she's been kind of like a, she, she's been a sleepy grandma this whole season. Like, why, uh, like... Where did she suddenly get the the nerve to you know <laughs> do this kind of scheming? I'm telling you, it's the it's the crown. She sees the crown is in danger, and she's like, "I'm I'm coming out of retirement, like a like but a heist like, movie." I don't buy it. I feel like at her age, she needs to just like watch Matlock and shut up. Well, she needs to, but that's not what she does. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, she God. was she was down to ruin some relationships. She's like, "I haven't got, I haven't felt this alive since Margaret." And Charles, like, lampshades it. Like, Charles is fully aware that Queen Mother has ruined all these other relationships. Yeah, we get reference to several past... So, we get a reference to um, Margaret and Peter. Is the other one that he mentions just Wallace and David? But he's I like, there's so. a history. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a history of this happening. I'm surprised he didn't go to Margaret here. I feel like overall, like, now that we're, like almost through season three and we know obviously we know that the final episode is going to be pretty margaret centric based on the, the the log line but i feel like overall margaret seems very underutilized throughout yeah, yeah, like the who's season. margaret right. at this point like she i yeah. mean there was one margaret centric episode at the very beginning of the season uh we're i guess getting one next week but in between all of that like what a waste of helena bonham carter i know yeah, like if Charles wanted to talk to somebody about like this just totally failing and not working and like false promises made by the royal family and the institution, like Margaret seems like the person to go to and he's calling her Auntie Margot. I've never heard this before in my life. Yeah, where's their relationship that's clearly close? Like that's so casual, Auntie Margot. Has anyone called her Margot before? I think maybe has Liz done it? It was new to me, I feel like. I didn't remember this. It sounds familiar, yeah. but I don't know who did it. Yeah, like next next week, we'll just see Dickie walk by her and be like, sup, Mags? <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, Charles asks Dickie explicitly for his help with the family. Um, and Charles and Dickie seem to have had like a close close relationship pretty much throughout Charles's life. But Dickie is like, you know what? This is my moment to just stab Charles in the back and just not follow through with what he wants. 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to wonder, like, Dickie has been kind of eternally an advocate for Charles. And in some times where he's even, like, you know, attempted to help Charles in kind of, you know, going against the grain of what his family has wanted for him, his parents, to be specific. And, mm-hmm. yeah, like, what is, yeah, what is Dickie's stake in all of this? Like, is, is Dickie that concerned about the integrity of the, you know, British family, like, royal crown? Because, like... You know, for all intents and purposes, Dickie himself is still a bit of an outsider. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is his way in by appeasing the institution. During like, you know, the last like two decades of his life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Just at the end. They bring this to Liz and Liz, at first she's like, well, I've read the letters. It seems very innocent, which again, (laughs) crazy that she has these letters. (laughs) So wild. Does Charles ever find out about that? (laughs) What what is it what does it mean that it seems innocent? I don't know. It just like she seems to be like it feels like she's like well they're just two kids and they're in love, you know. But th- these are the letters to David, right? Yes. Like there's no way Charles was going to write anything salacious in there. Well, yes, like maybe the intensity of his emotions like they were maybe Liz was trying to be like he's not confessing deep love or anything, which like he was. Maybe she's just like he's too young, he doesn't know. He'll get over her. But for Liz, or I guess the institution in general, the move is not to explicitly, or at first, it's not explicitly to come out and just say, no, that we're not having this. It's to give Charles a post in the Caribbean for eight months while things kind of settle down. They really do love schemes like this. (laughs) and we haven't even talked about the fact that, like, Charles, like, uh, you know, as of the start of this episode, was basically in a, a, a naval training academy. Like, he's no longer at Cambridge, but he's now kind of beginning his military service, which, like, I, I didn't know that was the order of things for him. I guess so, because they said that all the royal men do that. Well, I guess now they start going to college, and then they go into the Navy. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, like it's orchestrated that he be like sent off to his first post in the Caribbean, uh, presumably like prematurely, like uh, from Charles's perspective, he had not really like finished his training. He hadn't learned everything he needed to. He hadn't really proven himself to be able to move up to this next level. But uh, yeah, the, the family essentially kind of uh, pulls the strings and gets him, you know, as far away from the UK as needed to kind of put the kibosh on the relationship between him and Camilla. And here's the wildest thing that I found about this whole sequence. So he's called, for all intents and purposes, to like the principal's office. And the principal is like, I know it's not the principal, but like the the head of the institution is like, congratulations, you've got your first posting. And Charles looks at a picture of Elizabeth and that's the moment when he knows... (laughs) You know what? Yeah. It was her, based on this one picture yeah, I mean, that this guy has in his office. Filmmaking at its finest. <laughs> yeah, that that was, you know, very subtle. Then Charles drives up to the palace. He's in a mood. He's in a huff. He goes and he asks Margaret, or uh, he asks Martin for a minute with the Queen. And Martin's like, "Not a good time." She's writing a speech. Since when? And. Then <laughs> <laughs> And then he's like, fine, you can go in. And Charles is just not happy about anything. And and he and he and Elizabeth just go at it. Something is fishy. 
it seems like, you know, Queen Elizabeth is very inaccessible unless you are a family member who absolutely insists to see her now. Like, I mean, okay, let's say, hypothetically speaking, Martin comes back and says, like, you know, she she's not available right now or, she, you know, she doesn't want to speak right now. Is it within Charles's rights to just kind of stampede past Martin and, you know, the rest of the servants and just make his way into the, the Queen's quarters? I'm sure he can. He'll probably just piss her off. <laughs> and like, what is Martin going to do? Like, <laughs> physically restrain him? But no, no, no. What, what I'm saying is, like, will the security of Buckingham Palace, like, stop the Prince of Wales from entering his mother's bedroom? I want to say yes, because that sounds dramatic and fun. See, I don't know, because I feel like they'd be worried about, because it's all about, like, the lineage, right? Like, this is heir yeah. to the throne. Like, what if they're the person responsible? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're, you know, if you're one of the, the, the servants or, you know, security staff there and, you know, your job was to, you know, stop the, you know, queen from being intruded upon by a, an unwanted solicitor, uh, like, what if that solicitor is, is your future boss? Mm. I'm sure it's just really uncomfortable for them. They got to make some tough decisions. <laughs> but I also bet there's like a hierarchy of like, it matters more if this person tries to get through versus this person. Like Philip, they probably like, yeah, sure. She doesn't mind. Charles, yeah, I'm sure it's like, she really doesn't want to see Charles when she says she doesn't want to see Charles. <laughs> um, and so Liz is going to go back uh, and talk to Martin. And she's like, why is Camilla different than Philip? Why, why is this such a big deal now? And I feel like there's an argument to be made that Camilla is actually less problematic than Philip because even though Philip was a prince, he had all his Nazi ties. Yeah, this is where I'm very confused about like what Camilla's standing in society is because clearly she's from uh, like a family of some level of importance. Like because obviously, like you know, they're they're cozy with the queen mother. They seem to have some connections to the palace, but. At the same time, like, you know, there's this sense of disapproval of Camilla, and I'm I'm confused as to where that's coming from. Like, do you have to be part of a, an even more important and even more well-regarded family to to be a, approved to, you know, be one of the 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 potential matches for for the next in line? Well, okay, I think that what I'm gleaming, it's a combination of her social standing and the fact that she's not a virgin. But like in the way where like if society could be like, oh, like we know she's like, I think it's because of Parker Bowles and like the idea that she's like not pure and untouched and like mm. has a reputation. I think that's more what they're worried about because she hasn't been married right yet. Like, so she's not. I don't think so, no. It's not a no. Wallace problem. They're just getting really strict here, I guess. <laughs> Imagine getting yeah. more strict when all the debacle of David happens. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I, I don't think I'd ever thought too much about like how virginity plays into the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, of course, especially given the era, I, given the era, they're probably holding women to a much more unreasonable standard. Yeah, and I'm sure it's one of those things where like you can't really guarantee that the way they could in like the really olden times, but it's like if people generally know you've been with other people, like you're less desirable. And I'm sure the Parker Bowles thing is very like widely known within the social circles that they're in. How huh, interesting. I wonder how that's going to play out for Anne in that case. I guess she's just not important enough. But I'm sure they got mad at her, but like it was sort of like, well, you're very far down the line of succession, so 
Well, not 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 currently. Like, oh no, she is. Th- She's behind Edward and Andrew. Oh right, right. Oh, I forgot yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. That rule. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, she's a really sad spare, like just so far down wait, the line. Wait, so the next in line right now is Andrew? Well, not now. Charles? No, no. No, no, like, like now, now, sorry, now, oh. now within the context of this episode, like right now, if Charles met like an unfortunate fate, then Andrew is next yeah. in line to be king. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. I'm yes. sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Thank God Charles eventually gets married <laughs> and has kids. Oh, man. What, like absolute shit options right you start with charles <laughs> and then you go down to andrew and yeah you have to basically get rid of the two of them before you're left with you know edward who i don't think anybody in the world has an opinion about <laughs> yeah no it sucks because like Anne probably would have made a really good queen also martin used to be the cool one but now Martin is the guy saying that the system is too fragile, that this can't happen because the system will break. Like, does he see the country? Like, we'll talk about the miners' strike for sure. But like, does he see what's going on in the country? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What are you referring to when you say this? So, Liz, after Liz asks Martin, like, why Philip is different than Camilla, that was Martin's oh, right. response. He says the system is too fragile for this. Whatever, like Charles and Camilla. Again, they just can't handle that she's had sex with some random dude named Andrew Parker Bowles. It's too but much even he's not random, right? Like, he's, oh, he's part of a good family, too. I guess. Yeah, and he's like a military guy, right? He plays he's, polo with Philip. He wins at polo. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that Camilla was dating them both at the same time. They couldn't handle that. Like, if she had made, like, a clean break well, away seem, from Parker Bowles, that seems maybe to be it's it. that. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be like what turns it. Because at first, Liz really likes that Camilla gives Charles confidence. She likes, you know, I guess whatever Camilla awakens in Charles. But then when they convene with Anne and learn about Andrew's role in all of this, uh, Andrew Parker Bowles, uh, that's kind of when I forget if it's Liz or if it's the Queen Mother who says, stupid, naive Charles. <laughs> wow. Have have either of you uh, seen Broadchurch? I have not. So, like, uh, the actor who plays Andrew Parker Bowles was in Broadchurch. And and basically what Broadchurch, at least season one, is about is that, you know, a, a young boy's body in a small coastal English town washes up ashore. And there's a whole, like, you know, mystery about, like, which of the townspeople killed him. Like, who's the murderer? And in the show, uh, the actor who played Andrew Parker Bowles plays the, the, the dad of the, the deceased son. And the detectives who are working to solve the murder, the protagonist of the show, played by David Tennant and none other than Olivia Coleman. Man, all these so, British actors. So many layers here. <laughs> they just make the circuit throughout British television. So later, uh, Liz is like, you know what? Dickie is going to have to tell Charles about the arrangement that the Queen Mother has set up. And also that scene where the Queen Mother calls in like Camilla's parents and Andrew Parker Bowles' parents is also so weird. Wait, wait, it's never explained exactly like how they go about orchestrating the marriage between the two of them. Like, do like, is it literally the parents that force their children now into this marriage? Like, how does this I, work? 
I don't think they forced them. I imagine it was one of those manipulative talks where it was like, Camilla, like, do you really want to deal with the royal family? And do you really love Charles enough for that? Don't you just want to be with Andrew where you can still be rich, but there's not as much like... That's very... I feel like that's a very innocent look. I feel like there was definitely some sort of bribe involved, whether it was (laughs) land or a title... Yeah, they were like, you know, I think there could be like a dukedom in this for you if yeah. you go ahead with I this. I really, I really, really wish they hadn't like left those conversations for for off screen narrative. Like, th- those would have been very juicy to see. Like, I, I, and I don't care if you know they had to take creative liberties and just you know make up a potential scenario for what happened. Like, I want to see it. Damn it. Well, yeah, I also want to see it because I need to know how much to um, sympathize with Charles and Camilla or not. Because it's not clear to me if she actually made, if there was any genuine feelings that this was the right decision to make or if it was all like, I'm being forced completely to do this and have to like lie to you about it. And maybe I'm getting my details hazy now, but like, wasn't there like a scene between Camilla and Charles or uh, either over the phone or in person toward the end that, you know, where Camilla basically like, you know, implied like, you know, I, my feelings are with you, but I have to go marry this other guy. I guess so. I guess I'm also just harping on the iconography of Andrew being there the whole time and that being Mm -hmm. sus. Yeah. I don't know. And, and, and like he, by the way, seems to have been just kind of pretty chill about this whole arrangement, too. I know. Up up until then. He knows that he can beat up Charles on the polo field whenever he wants to. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and then, you know, on top of that, like, he was also being taken care of on the side with Anne. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like Anne cut that off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she didn't. Maybe she was just telling her parents that. But <laughs> it seemed yeah. like she was done with it. All right, so Dickie tells Charles, we don't actually hear the conversation. It's um, kind of just over music, but we see Dickie tell Charles. Charles does his best, like, Charlie Brown impression. <laughs> and then uh, Liz, of course, is watching through the window, as she does. Um, mm-hmm. And what's weird about this is that it seems like Charles is unaware that the Parker Bowles stuff is still going on, even though... And I feel like has told him multiple times. It's just like Charles calls up Camilla and he's like, I feel like such a fool. And it's like, well, you knew this though. Did you not? I, I think he was willfully ignoring it. And then he looks like a clown. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> Charles. But Camilla does tell Charles that her feelings have changed and she does feel strongly for him. And that's kind of where we leave it off with Camilla and Charles. We do see Camilla and Andrew get married at the end. Um, as Liz is giving her like 10th, wait, no, is it 25th anniversary mm-hmm. speech? Yes. Oh yeah. 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 And, and uh, yeah, on top of everything else that's going on, like Elizabeth has now, you know, been the sovereign for 25 years. It's her first, is it her first Jubilee? Is that what they call it? Uh, I'm not uh, even going to attempt that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't wait, know. Wasn't it a marriage thing? How long have they been married for 20 years? I thought it was 20 year marriage. Because she he did the speech at ten, and now he's she's doing the speech at twenty. Wait, is it the anniversary of her coronation or of their no, marriage? No, it was it's her and Philip's anniversary. Yeah, oh. so I think it's twenty years. Oh, I was gonna say I thought it was like, twenty five. Yeah, but then it's how's that halfsies? There was a line about it being like, "I did ten, you do 20. I thought it was okay. Hold up, know. hold up. I they got married. I'm, I'm they got married. Hold on, they got married like what forty six, forty seven. Oh, I don't know. Well, if it was yeah, 46, so, 47, it would be 25. 
yeah exactly in the 70s now. can we google Early this 70s, why yeah. wow it's philip lied you can't do math well i so feel like fine. you go like 10 25 i don't know did 25 we, did feels we like see, a roundish did we, number did yeah. we see the 10 year anniversary was that during season one uh season two? Oh, but i we remember saw the it? speech yeah, we did see oh. we did see philip do a speech oh right oh was it like when he was kind of Finish, finished sowing his own oats and kind yeah. of yeah <laughs> when okay. he was just clowning in his marriage yeah that time all right okay um all right so we've talked a lot about charles and camilla but i want to make sure we have time to talk about the other stuff that's happening here mainly the miners strike we meet uh in i think great we had met him in the last episode right this new prime minister heath but we meet him mm-hmm. in greater detail now and he's a piece of work <laughs> yeah he's not he's not pleasant not a fan um, especially coming off of, um, oh my God, Wilson. now, yeah, Wilson. Well, Wilson, um, yeah. the best PM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Heath plays the piano. He's afraid of dogs. Uh, he's a very terrible negotiator. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 re- I really wonder how Peter Morgan feels about conservatives. Cause yeah, like <laughs> oh. the, the, the show's not answering the question for us at all. No, definitely not. Yeah. Although I have heard that corgis are actually there, the royal corgis are actually very vicious. So he might have been right about oh, that. Oh, you think he was right? All animals mean harm. They're about a meal away from barbarism. <laughs> I'm telling you, what those the fuck corgis. What is that supposed to mean, by the way? Like, can can you not say that about like literally any living thing, humans included? I, it's because those corgis sometimes turn on each other and kill them each other. I, oh my god. I mean, I don't know if they just don't train the corgis that well, but they are very cute. Yeah. Maybe it's because she has too many. All right. So there's this minor strike, which given everything that we've seen throughout season three feels warranted. It just feels like they all die and it's not great. Um, And so they have demands about working conditions, et cetera. And here we go again. You know, the government has a prediction about how long this will last. And they are once again... (laughs) very wrong <laughs> he's like oh. oh don't worry it'll pass it'll be i think what do you say eight weeks we have yeah. we have enough stores to you know last them out for eight weeks it's just another miscalculation and i don't i don't know what they want us to think about you know the british government because it seems very inept yeah they're they're not good at um their jobs i don't think there's much to say about this like i i mean i i hope we do get some closure next week on what happens with the minor strike because otherwise like why even bother focusing on it here but oh yeah i i am i am so sick of you know just these stodgy for like you know prime ministers that we have to watch like completely fail to relate to the common man like we've just been there done that you know well one thing that i didn't think was interesting here is that we get philip's perspective on the prime minister heath and heath says that or that philip says that heath is rusty um his enemies have held against him that he's never married um, and that oh. the people generally find it hard to trust a man without a wife and a family. Granted, they've had several, I think, prime ministers in questionable situations. Like, what about Macmillan? And like, what was oh, yeah. going on with Macmillan's wife? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, she had yeah. a wife. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, is it better yeah. to not have a wife or have a wife who just has like a side thing? <laughs> I mean, that's the interesting thing, because we've never had a president who wasn't married. Well, yeah, the Macmillan know. thing, did it ever become public knowledge or is it just one of those things that like surfaced 50 years later and that's why Peter Morgan was able to include it in the show? 
Yeah, I don't know. I didn't get the impression that everyone knew. But they were going out to like public event. They were going out to the show. Maybe that's uh, right. So oh, it's like it's not like they were trying to hide it. <laughs> it's okay. weird. Well, we don't need to talk about McMillan anymore. <laughs> we we've got smaller fish to fry now. <laughs> It did set the stage for some really interesting uh, scenes here because they start cutting the power intermittently. And so a lot of these scenes are just like lit by candlelight, which just makes yeah. them yeah. really dramatic in a weird way. One of my favorite uh, uh, moments of the episode was when uh, Elizabeth was uh, dismissing um, Heath, uh, you know, from from their, uh, you know, sit down conversation. And she instinctively like reached to press the button to, to you know, buzz the, the servants to come in. Uh, but then, you know, realizing they were in the <laughs> middle of one of the blackouts, she picked up one of the bells instead and, and did it did it in this like delightfully exasperated way. Like, great. That was a that that, that was the. At least in my mind, the the four year consideration moment for Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So we get actually we see the negotiation between him and the miner, um, and he's like, you know what? I came from a difficult background as well, so don't judge me. It's an interesting card to play. I think when your position is drastically different now than the position that these miners find themselves in. Yeah, I I noticed that Heath was like kind of probably almost deliberately vague about how difficult his upbringing was. Like, you know, he 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 made it seem like he was living in like more modest conditions than than his present ones, but not necessarily like anything that implied like severe hardship. And you know what? They may have had to finance the piano, but they got the piano. <laughs> they did get that piano. They got there it. There you go. All right. He ends up making a speech to the nation about the power cuts and about how Christmas will be hard. Uh, essentials only. Businesses only get to be open three days a week. I'm shocked that he was not ousted sooner. Like if you're a business owner and you're suddenly told you can't be open seven days a week, you can only be open three days a week. How is that an acceptable thing? Like, 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 especially, especially like if you as the business owner were aware that there was a very like instantaneous thing the government could do to prevent that from continuing to occur. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, this is kind of still unresolved. I mean, we learn that the government's pulling back on their kind of like hardline position. They've offered the mine workers 48 million pounds, which they refused. And that's it. And then Heath just goes and plays Moonlight Sonata on the piano. It's like, what? That's it? Can, can you imagine, like, if The Crown were not, uh, you know, a Netflix series that dropped its entire season all at once, uh, but instead, like, aired week to week? <laughs> and leading up to the finale, like, the big cliffhanger was like, what's going to happen with the miners' strike? <laughs> How are they going to wrap all of this up? Oh, my God. All right, and then the last thing that I thought was interesting because it does tie into where we're going is in Liz's anniversary speech. She says something about how finding the right partner is crucial, and then you see the camera focus on Margaret and uh, Lord Snowden. Mm. So interesting foreshadowing there to what we, uh, it seems we're going to get in the finale of season three. Can't mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. Anything else to talk about? We've I feel like we've covered a lot here. Yeah. I, I mean it so. was a, it was it was a big episode. Like there was a lot of like, you know, lore and and crown mythology like front and center here. It was kind of like last week's. Like I mean, the, this was this was almost a two-parter. Now mm-hmm. kind of leading into a three-parter. 
Was a, and they it was a short episode too. It was only like forty six minutes, but they packed a lot in. Mm-hmm. Truly, like there yeah. there were like very there were like you know at least two or three scenes, including that pre credits scene that was like you know this very like you know rousing swelling of the music, like super you know high energy moments, and yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Like that, yeah. I mean, this season has really kind of taken focus here in these last couple episodes. Um, did we see any kinky moments here in the penultimate episode of season three? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess the the big obvious one is like Anne and her mm-hmm. intervention. What about it was kinky? Was it her just making sure that her parents knew what she was that up she to? She was having sex. Yeah. <laughs> that they knew that she was having um, extramarital or premarital sex. And again, we, we, we want to say that Anne is probably like 20, 21 at this point. Yeah, I uh, like yeah. That. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I will go ahead and nominate uh, Andrew Parker Bowles lingering in the background as Camilla's Ooh. on the phone. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, I of course have to nominate uh, the leader of the miners' strike talking about uh, Heath's long, delicate fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, is there an great. audio clip or? Oh, I don't have the audio clip. Um, what? It- but what what does he say exactly? Uh, he says, "What smooth hands you have, long delicate fingers." Okay, all right, sure. Let's see. And then I had uh, Dicky tells uh, the Queen Mother that she'll leave uh, the Shan the Shand and Parker Bowles families to her, and she says, "With pleasure." That sounds kinky. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think anytime no. you just say the words "with pleasure," it sounds a little kinky. You know. Sure, sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, all right, where are we going with this? Um, I would still like to vote my Anne moment. I that was my I, I vote Anne as well. I think I'll vote yeah, I'll, I'll make it three for is that two is that back to back episodes for Anne or was it like was there an episode between? Anne's definitely won two now. She's coming in hot. I feel like there was one in between, but I don't remember. I don't remember wait, either. Wait, did 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 we give it to her last week? I don't even remember what happened last week. <laughs> I mean, that, that was like the beginning of her, you know, whole thing with Andrew Parker Bowles, that whole oh, then, bedroom yeah, scene. She probably did win. Yeah. 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 I think it must have been her. Wow. All right. So, Anne, back to back. Look at her go. Um, all right. Cool. So that's going to take us to a close here, I believe, uh, on season three, episode nine, unless uh, anyone has any f- closing thoughts. Uh, no. That's good. Well, then next week we will be discussing uh, the finale of uh season three of the crown uh not only that we'll be discussing the finale of season three of the crown on queen elizabeth's birthday so it's almost like we planned this (laughs) (laughs) crazy unfortunately though it does not seem to be a queen elizabeth focused episode we are getting uh season three episode 10 creed occur as her marriage disintegrates margaret seeks comfort elsewhere but her fragile state of mind and lack of family support make true happiness elusive. I know we've all seen the Queen's sister. We <laughs> <laughs> we have. Can't wait. Uh, wait. What? She ends up going to like that guy's house, just like the hippie guy's house. Is <laughs> are we gonna get yeah, that I here mean, in the crown? Uh, uh, yeah, I hope. I hope we get the more high budget version of that. <laughs> all right. Can't wait. Uh, in the meantime. Ivan, if people want to catch up with your thoughts on The Crown, where can they do that? 
the uh, Build-A-Bear workshop uh, at the, <laughs> I think it's like the Oceanside Mall in Laith, just north Laith. of Laith. Yeah, uh, I think that's the name of either the neighborhood or the little Does that get one of those like of AE, like the combined AE? No, I think it's like L-E-I-T-H. <laughs> anyway, there's oh. a shopping mall there. Um, yeah, uh, Build-A-Bear workshop. Uh, you can find me working on the on the Edward Heath doll that I'm going to bring with me onto oh, the yacht. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm sure then you can find Carlin working on the matching Corgi doll that yep, will chase you the way. There actually was a, there was a Corgi doll on, on yeah. the yacht. Of course there was. Like it, sitting in a chair. Actually, oh I think there God. were a couple. Like, Yeah, they were dispersed all throughout the yacht, all over. Uh, Carlin, what about you? Where can people catch up with you uh, regarding the crown? Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, Instagram at Carlin underscore GE. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung, but the best place to reach us, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about the crown uh, before we hit the season three finale is on Twitter at crown around pod. And that's all we got for you. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God God save save the the queen. queen.